Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. middle of a three-episode series on these passages in the Old Testament book of Exodus where God is emphasizing calling him by his name. So we really want to catch what's going on there. Remember the last episode, we looked at that quote by A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's what's going to determine your entire life. And so when God gives us his name, that name is a description that he wants to have in our minds when we think about him. We talked about that in the last episode. We looked at this passage in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, when God says to Moses, God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, you notice there I just said the name Yahweh. In your English Bible, it says the Lord in all capital L-O-R-D. I talked about that a little bit in the last episode of how that appears in our translations. We've been talking about God's name, which is in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H in the Hebrew letters, and probably pronounced Yahweh. And it appears far more times in the Hebrew Old Testament than the title God does. And for historical reasons, most English translations of the Bible translate the Hebrew name for God as Yahweh as the title, the Lord, in all capital L-O-R-D. So each time you read capital L-O-R-D in your Old Testament, remember God gave us his name and you're reading his name, Yahweh. And as you can see from the passage we looked at in Exodus 3, The Hebrew name Yahweh is the to be verb. And so God says, I am who I am. Tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And then he says, Yahweh has sent me to you. And Yahweh is Hebrew for he is. So I am, he is, he is the I am is what God's name means. The one who is the I am. So when God wants to give his people a name that best captures who he is in a way we can most understand, if we can understand the infinite, which is impossible, but in a way that we can most understand the infinite, he says, I am the I am. I am he is. He is is my name forever. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I think God is emphasizing that he wants us to call him by his name. Fair enough, clear enough, right there in the Bible. And I think that we miss something when we miss his name. Now, when we get to Exodus chapter 33, there's another time when God is 
at Mount Sinai and he is appearing before God. And Moses, it says in chapter 33, verse 18, Moses said to God, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, which is Yahweh said, and Yahweh said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have, I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So here's what God says to Moses. Moses says, show me your glory. And he says, you couldn't see my glory and live because in your sinful state and because in my holy state, you would be incinerated. But I'll show you my goodness and I'll proclaim to you my name, Yahweh. So in Exodus 34, verse 5, then it says, Then Yahweh came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. So here's God proclaiming his name. He's proclaiming his name and describing his name as the one who says he is Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And then he talks about punishing the guilty. We're going to save that part for our next episode. I want to talk about this first part today. Because when we understand our lives in the context of God's name, the name he emphasizes when he wants us to understand him, the name he emphasizes when he describes his character as abounding in love and full of grace and compassion and forgiveness, to understand what is happening here, we have to understand this sense of God's mysterious name and the glory that is part of this when Moses says show me your glory and God says I can't show you my glory but I can show you my goodness and it says in verse 5 then the Lord Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name Yahweh so God again is making a very big deal about his name And for us to understand our relationship with God, we have to make a big deal about his name and about how his name is this sense that the narrative of your life is actually a narrative of how you are in the context of Yahweh, the I am, that this one who is glorious in a way that he can't even show now because because of our sin before our resurrection, the narrative of your, of your life is actually a narrative about glory, glory that you don't fully have now, but glory that you were created for, glory that is tied to the very name of God, glory that cannot be seen this side of the resurrection, but it is the reason why you were created. 
a glory that still echoes in your soul. So Moses said to God, show me your glory. But then God's answer is surprising. It's unexpected. He says, I'd like to, but it would kill you. And when I hear God say that, I think about that scene and kind of like that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where, you know, the they, they open the, the Nazis open up the Ark and, and Harrison's Ford character says to the girl, close your eyes. And then we see what happens. And it turns out that that's a good, I think, picture of this glory of God and what it would do to us if we saw the glory of God, if we looked upon the glory of God in our sinful state, because it turns out that we're not okay. That's what God is revealing to us. That's why God can't reveal himself to us in all his glory, in all his beauty, because we would not be able to tolerate it. So God says in Exodus thirty three twenty, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. It's all so mysterious and there's not much of an explanation to it except that God just then stands next to him in a cloud where he can't see him, but he proclaims his name. What Moses experiences here is a kind of echo of God's glory. He can't look directly on it, but he hears God proclaim his name, and it's kind of an echo of his glory. God has already passed, but God proclaimed his name, and the Bible says our world is filled with the echoes of God's glory. Your life is filled with these longings, with these echoes, like when you're sitting on a bluff and looking out at the ocean, and you just can sit there for hours because the beauty of the ocean and the sunset fills you with this sense of glory. It's beautiful. It seems meaningful to you. It seems more meaningful than getting up and watching something on TV. You just want to stare at the sunset. And then the sun sets and fills the sky with beautiful shades of blue and red. It's like brush strokes and you can't not look at it. Its beauty taps into something deep within you. It's an echo of something transcendent that you can't quite put your finger on. To look at a majestic mountain range. And why do you use that word majestic when we talk about a mountain range? Because there's something about the mountain range that is tapping into this echo of glory. You can stare at it and you can look at it with this sense because it lifts up your soul somehow. It's an echo of something truly majestic. It's an echo of the majestic. To look at the stars on a clear dark night way out from the city lights. It's like an echo that taps into something transcendent, something out there, something more. And it gives you this longing. It taps into a longing in your soul. It taps into what some have called an infinite empty. And if if that's what happens when you experience the echo the beauty of the ocean, the beauty of the sunset, the beauty of the mountains, the beauty of the stars, and what would it be like to see the source, the real thing that the echo is echoing, the unhindered beauty and glory of God that God says we can't look at now without dying. We have to look at the echo. That's all we can tolerate is the echo. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, no, I don't want you to die. And the one thing we most need in the whole world, God says, is the one thing we can't have or we would die. 
to be created with this transcendent longing for the I am, to be created to live in this relationship with the source of all existence itself and the giver of life with the I am, this transcendent longing for glory in our soul, but unable to really truly experience it. All we can experience are the echoes. The revelation of God to Moses is the same revelation to us. God's words to Moses are his words to us. We have all been shut out of the glory of God, and all we have is his verbal description that we have to trust, that we have to believe, but we can't see him. Now, we might think we're pretty much okay with God and that he's lucky to have us and that he's lucky to have us pray to him. And it's the exact opposite. God is having compassion on whom he has compassion and he is having mercy on whom he has mercy. And so he is speaking to you, inviting you to come through his words, through his echo to him. But the New Testament says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the human dilemma. This is what's wrong with the world. We've all sinned and we fall short. We've been cut off. We've been separated from the glory of God. But we were created for glory. This world was created to live in a symbiotic relationship with God's glory, to reflect his glory. You were created to in his image to reflect his glory. Your life is a narrative about lost glory that still echoes in your soul. And you're trying to find it in the echo, but you can't find it in the echo. They're just echoes. You can only find it in what the echo is echoing. So when Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17, 24, he says, Father, I want those those who believe in him through his through the message of the apostles, if you look at it in context, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. This is the whole reason why Jesus came according to this prayer. He wants those whom God has given him to be with him forever where he is when he returns to bring his kingdom back to this earth. He returns in his glory to bring his glory back to this earth and that we we would see his glory. This is the whole narrative of your life, that we would actually see the real and not just the echo. The glory you long for is the place of Jesus, wherever Jesus is forever. That is what is the greatest longing of my soul and your soul. It's an ingrained memory deep in our souls of a place and a glory that we long for, that we were created for. It's in the memory of the human soul, and all the echoes point to it. The Apostle John describes it in Revelation 21 this way, Revelation 21.10, coming down out of heaven, when Christ comes back, coming, coming down out of heaven from God, it shone, this new heaven, this new earth, it shone with the glory of God. 
Heaven will be the glory of God coming back to earth, and the earth will shine with the glory of God. Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 13 that those in the kingdom of their Father will shine like the sun. There's a glory that will be returned to us. There's a glory that will be returned to this restored world. The real narrative revealed in the pages of the Bible is about being able to see and share in and bask in and rejoice in and reflect fully the beauty and the glory and the face of God rather than be destroyed by it, rather than trying to hide from it. So biblical words that describe salvation, like the word salvation itself, it means being, being restored. Words like glorification in the Bible, restoration in the Bible, redemption, salvation, resurrection when Jesus returns, to be brought back in, shalom, peace, well-being. Psalm 1611, remember, in your presence, David says, in your presence is fullness of joy forever. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the idea of glory, pleasure and joy in the presence of God forever. You were created for glory. That's why Jesus came and will come again. Paul says in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 21, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So when God says to Moses, I will proclaim my goodness to you by proclaiming my name. We have to understand that God is giving us his name, the I am. He is. He's giving us his name, and then he describes his name when he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That he is bringing us eventually into his glory forever, where we experience his abounding love and compassion and grace and faithfulness forever, because that is who he is. He is the I am. He is the real. And we make idols out of the echoes, but God is the real. And we understand God's name. It changes our prayer life, like we said in the last episode. And we lift up our eyes and we say, you are prayers. You are the I am. No one can see your face now and live because your name is holy and you are holy and you are glory and I cannot look upon your face and live, and yet you come in your compassion and your mercy, and you stand beside me, and you proclaim your name to me. You are the I am. You are the I am. You are compassionate, and you are gracious, and you are slow to anger, and you are abounding 
in love and you are abounding in faithfulness and you are forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And I want to, like Moses, bow to the ground and worship you, God of goodness, God of compassion, God of abounding love and faithfulness, God who is gracious and compassionate, the God of glory that I cannot see, but I will see one day when Christ comes and I have a resurrected body and with my resurrected eyes, I can look upon your glory and live. I can look upon your glory and myself be filled with glory. The Apostle John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You are glory, and I want to purify myself even now just as you are glorious and you are pure, because I have this hope of being conformed to the glory of Christ. And even now, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we are all, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are all being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. By Your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that You would continue to transform my life from one degree of glory to another because I want to contemplate your glory as the I am. You are the I am. And I contemplate your glory. I lift up my eyes to see your glory in my imagination, the God that created this universe, the God that is the source of all existence, the giver of all life, always present with me. And I cannot look upon your glory now and live, and yet I'm being transformed by your Holy Spirit into this glory that you came to restore in me. Now I am a child of God, and what I will be is not yet made known, but I have this hope, and I will be restored to the glory of God, and I will be with you where you are to see your glory, and all who have this hope purify themselves. I want to walk more and more in the glory of who you are, being transformed into the, the glory of who you are the glory of the children of God, the glory that all creation will be restored to. And therefore I trust in your name, in your abounding love and compassion, and that you are full of grace and faithfulness, slow to anger, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, which is why I can live forever in your glory and the forever God becomes my God forever. This is the story my life is in. This is the reason I was created. My soul longs for your glory, and that's why the echoes are so loud in my soul, and yet I don't want to follow the echoes as the it. You're the it that they echo. You're the one I was created for. You're the one who satisfies my soul. You're the one who my being, my entire being longs for. Everything else points to you. You are the real. You are the eternal. You are the infinite. You are the I am. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.